Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. In designing this very special Great Artist Gala, I wanted to build up to Yo-Yo Ma's appearance with the Elgar Cello Concerto with a number of works that really created a, a, a lively, exciting, and, and wonderfully positive feeling. I had asked Yo-Yo to perform the Elgar Concerto. He's been with the symphony a number of times before, I think three times total, and two of those times he played the great Dvorak Concerto. So I felt it was time for a different concerto, and, and my other absolute favorite concerto of all times is the Elgar. Uh, and the Elgar is a very a beautiful but very internal and kind of intimate piece. So I wanted to sort of juxtapose other intimate and, and kind of introspective music with some very big public utterances. And so we decided to start with one of my favorite overtures of all times, Richard Wagner's Meisterzinger Prelude. Uh, this was when Wagner was already kind of in, in ascent. He was a, very much an established figure and a great success. He'd already composed Tannhäuser and had just recently completed Lohengrin and was already beginning to think about and work on his Ring of the Nibelungen. But um, Wagner, who wrote generally rather serious operas, very fanciful and fantastical operas, only wrote one comedy, and it was in fact this opera, Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg, the master singers from Nuremberg. Much of it based kind of on historical ideas and actually historical figures. The hero, Walter von Stolzing, and his sort of mentor, the great German uh, folk figure Hans Sachs, are actually based on historic figures. And it seems that at a certain time in the Middle Ages, there were in fact these song competitions. You know, there were these, these guilds existed of different uh, different industries, the shoemakers, the the steel workers, the uh, the mason etc. The different uh, guilds would get together and have various parties and events and competitions. And there was, in fact, uh, this kind of singing competition made up of master singers, people who could improvise or extemporize songs on the spot. And so uh, this opera, this very funny and, and uh, clever uh, and monumental, as Wagner's operas always are, a five-hour opera or so, uh, about a singing competition uh, was uh, just an incredible achievement on Wagner's part. It concerns the young Walter von Stolzing, who's vying for the hand of a lovely young lady, the daughter of Hans Sachs, uh, against this rather uh, grumpy, cranky, desiccated critic, Beck Messer, who's actually based on the critic who, who hated Wagner's music most, the great Edward Hanslich, who was a great Brahmsian uh, critic at the time in Vienna and always wrote terribly disparaging things about Wagner and wondrous loving things about Brahms. So Wagner uh, immortalized uh, in this figure of Beckmesser. So uh, the, uh, the overture, the prelude, which is about a nine-minute piece and an incredible piece, draws on various themes or leitmotifs, as Wagner called them, the, the leading motives or, or motives which stand for different figures or different events. There's the banner theme and the, the, the Meistersingers marching into the hall for the song competition and, and various 
introduction of different figures. And then in the middle of, of the prelude of the overture, there's actually a, a, a quote from the song that the young Walter von Stolzing competes with, this beautiful prize song. But what's most magical and, and incredible about this overture is that Wagner was a, a real student, a close student of, of counterpoint, of that Baroque idea made fully realized by Bach and to a certain extent Handel and the great figures of the Baroque uh, of, of different lines running against each other, the same material running at different intervals and the way that interacts. And Wagner was an absolute, even though he was a mid-19th century composer, a great master of, of romantic counterpoint. And so the piece has these fabulous, almost Bachian kinds of fugal passages that, that run with the various thematic materials, and, and Wagner cleverly manages it at a certain point to even combine four or five different themes running concurrently. Uh, so it's a great uh, achievement in 19th century polyphony or counterpoint, but it's also just one of the most brilliant and spirited of all 19th century overtures or preludes. So here now to open our program, Wagner's prelude to the opera Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was the prelude to Wagner's opera Die Meistersinger, performed by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Now, since I knew we had Yo-Yo Ma coming to perform on the second half of our concert and to perform this very touching and beautiful concerto by Edward Elgar, and since I knew that we would have our most uh, full string contingent of everybody in the orchestra wanting to be there to play with Yo-Yo, I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to do a piece that I've always wanted to do with the orchestra, uh, but have never found quite the right place to, to slot it. Either we're in Troy with a smaller orchestra, or we're in the palace, where I want to utilize all the winds who are being deployed for the concert. But it just seemed like a felicitous moment to perform one of my absolute favorite pieces of all times. It is, in fact, Antonin Dvorak's Serenade for Strings. This is a relatively early work of, of Dvorak, just as he was beginning to ascend in the public eye. He, he was still a young man, had just recently been married and had his first child, had recently been playing via in the court orchestra in Prague, but was beginning to make a name for himself as a composer. Uh, he just submitted a, a portfolio of his works, including his new Fifth Symphony uh, and various other pieces, uh, for consideration for a, an Austrian prize. And it was uh, this submission and this prize, which Dvorak was ultimately awarded, uh, that really changed his destiny. It happened that the great Johannes Brahms, already established as the leading composer of the day, was on the committee. And so by virtue of of seeing these works of Dvorak, Dvorak was brought to Brahms' attention. And Brahms was incredibly unstinting and generous in his support of the young Dvorak, introduced him to his own publisher, who became uh, Dvorak's publisher, um, began to arrange performances around uh, the German speaking lands of Dvorak's work and became a very close personal friend of Dvorak and that friendship lasted through their lives. It was a very touching and, and wonderful friendship and, and Brahms was a very selfless person and seemed to have unlimited uh, respect and, and adoration for Dvorak. He, he always marveled at how Dvorak's ability to just create the most extraordinary, effortless melodic material was something that he really envied. So many Czech people played instruments. It was just part of the culture of village life, and Dvorak, of course, was no exception. He played in the village band. He played in the court orchestra. He played a number of instruments. Uh, he really had this effortless ability to create 
just magnificent music. And so this is uh, one of those pieces where you, you think you've just heard the most beautiful tune of all times, and then right behind it is the next even more beautiful tune. The work from 1876 is in five movements and uh, deploys the string instruments in the most challenging ways. It's a really daunting piece to play. The the violins are asked to play in very, very high registers almost throughout. Uh, the cellos as well have to play uh, incredible high passages that are really not that idiomatic for the instrument. It's, it's a really challenging thing, but a beautiful sonorous piece as well. Five movements. The first is a lovely moderato, which introduces the first theme of the of the piece, that beautiful second movement, a, a charming uh, waltz, essentially, with a, a gorgeous trio, a middle section. Uh, the third movement is a scherzo, a very lively movement. And the fourth movement, maybe the most beautiful of all all the parts of the of the serenade, uh, is a larghetto, a, a slow movement, a, a very lyrical but beautiful slow movement for the string orchestra. And the finale, a kind of dramatic, dancey, exciting kind of, of movement, but interestingly with a, a recapitulation of music from the first the first movement, the introduction, the first very first bars come back toward the end of the piece, and then it comes to a, a finish with a, a real flourish. A great, great early piece by the great Antonin Dvorak, his Serenade for Strings. It's performed by the Strings of the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Antonin Dvorak's Serenade for Strings, performed by the Albany Symphony Strings, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Even though this concert was built around the enjoyment of that magnificent artist, the great Yo-Yo Ma, it being an Albany Symphony concert, I very much wanted to include a, a not terribly long, rather brief and celebratory new work. So we commissioned a, a very gifted young composer, a charming fellow named Connor Brown, who is a native of Boulder, Colorado, and currently lives back in Boulder, but spent a number of years out in our neighborhood uh, attending Bard College and Bard College Conservatory, where he was a student of Joan Tower, of George Santakis, of John Halley, all composers we have close relationships with and great friendship with, and then went back to Boulder. And he's written a, a few different pieces for various ensembles of the orchestra, two pieces for our new music ensemble, The Dogs of Desire, uh, as well as an earlier orchestra piece. And I thought it would be neat, uh, especially because of Yo-Yo Ma's interest in, in uh, the Silk Road, in Eastern music, and music from other cultures, to ask Connor to write a piece, because Connor is a, a brilliant performing clarinetist. He's also a rock and roller, as well as a classical composer, and he has a band that explores, in particular, a lot of Eastern European music, Macedonian music, Bulgarian music, and and he's very much entranced and interested in and by Eastern European musical culture and style. So even though this piece is not ostensibly Eastern European, and Connor describes it as a, a piece that kind of goes roaming around through various cultures and imagined landscapes, uh, I thought it would be lovely to have a, a piece that sort of connects a little bit to the Silk Road and to all the kind of interesting work that Yo-Yo has been doing with his Silk Road project, exploring all the different regions, the various Stan countries, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, etc., uh, as well as uh, the East, the Far East. So here now, the world premiere of Connor Brown's new piece, written specifically for this concert. It's called Range Upon Range. The Albany Symphony is featured, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, 
and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. The final work on the program, one of my absolute all-time favorite concerti in any genre, is Elgar's magnificent cello concerto. The work was written in, in 1919, Right after the end, obviously, of the First World War, Elgar at this time was already an older gentleman. He was 62 years old at the time he wrote the concerto, and he just had some uh, throat surgery, a tonsillectomy, and I think he was just extremely depressed and sad and uh, feeling very autumnal after the horrors of the First World War. Uh, He was deeply sensitive to the terrible loss that England and the world had suffered, not only in human life, but he was a, a great lover of horses and horse racing, and it's reputed that he, he was as upset about the loss of life of, of innocent horses as he was of the terrible loss of, of human life as well. Anyway, the, the time found him in a, a rather introspective mode, and here late in life, as often happens with composers, uh, his music takes on a certain spareness about it. His, his earlier works had been very Straussian and very extravagant, and in a certain way, owing a certain amount to Wagner and the influence of Wagner in the last 50 years before his career. And yet here at the end of his career, we see Elgar really uh, simplifying his style. In 1918, right at the very end of the war, he'd written three chamber pieces, rather uncharacteristic for him, and uh, they were all in a sort of similarly sparse, spare style. So unlike his violin concerto of some years earlier, which was a 50-minute work, rather lush and beautiful, the cello concerto is extremely intimate and very beautiful and has been championed by cello concertos ever since its premiere, most notably the great Jacqueline Dupre, the great English cellist who uh, championed it very early in her career before her terrible struggle with MS uh, that ended her career and ultimately her life. It happens that in our performance, Yo-Yo Ma was playing the, the Dupre Stradivarius, the cello that belonged to Jacqueline Dupre. So a very beautiful connection to, to English music and to Elgar through Dupre. It's certainly been a central piece in Yo-Yo Ma's repertoire. He's recorded it a number of times, performed it with Jacqueline Dupre's husband, Daniel Berenboim, one of the only cellists other than Dupre to ever perform it with her, and has performed it around the world with great success. Uh, I actually think that it... it is a perfect piece for Yo-Yo because it it is really kind of an inward piece, a very touching and beautiful and intimate, in a certain way, almost modest piece. And and those are attributes I I would attribute to to Yo-Yo Ma as well. Uh, Gorgeous, beautiful artist, an incredible ability to communicate. And one could say that this piece is all about kind of the most intimate types of communication. It's in four movements, a very interesting kind of structure, and again, a very simple, rather small-ish sized orchestra, not a lot of extra winds and brass and percussion, but begins with a very declamatory cello statement that's followed by the original theme that Elgar considered that that came to him actually right after that surgery, that tonsillectomy he he had had a a year earlier, Uh, this beautiful theme that's announced in, in the violas and then carried through in the cellos and the full orchestra, uh, eventually growing to a, a really monumental statement, this beautiful da-da-da-da-da-dum-da-dee-da-da-dum. 
and so on and so forth. A very, again, a sort of restrained English idea that, that is a real challenge for those of us who are not English to, to play in a restrained and elegant and kind of uh, nostalgic enough fashion. So the, the first movement involves itself with that beautiful theme, juxtaposed a, against a somewhat warmer, dare one say, almost happier theme, a second. A contrasting idea. Very intimate first movement that then leads, again, to a declamatory statement of the, of the cello uh, for a few moments, followed by a, a wonderful scherzo in which the cello has to play for about four minutes continuously without stopping or changing tempo. A very fleet and almost Mendelssohn-like uh, second movement. The third movement is a touching and beautiful, almost like a, a Schumann uh, miniature. It's a slow, beautiful larghetto. Again, a very intimate and heartfelt movement. And then the finale, uh, again, starting with a great declamatory cello solo, sort of a mini cadenza at the beginning, becomes a, a rollicking, kind of funny, and, and Yo-Yo even suggested occasionally tipsy, sort of the unbuttoned, charming, fun-loving side of Elgar, kind of contrasting to the other movements of the, the concerto. But in a fascinating way, about halfway through this finale, four or five minutes in, the music suddenly begins to turn into this very heartfelt and beautiful, uh, sad and slow music, and then eventually uh, recapitulates the theme of, the, of the, the slow movement, of the third movement, and comes to this incredibly powerful, heart-wrenchingly poignant peroration that's then followed by a very brief little ending in the, of the material from the last movement. But uh, it's this last four or five minutes, this almost cry of sadness that has really, I think, defined this concerto as this nostalgic, autumnal uh, looking back, perhaps on the war, perhaps on the whole lost era of the Victorians and the Edwardians that closed, the chapter that closed with the end of the First World War, this idea of, of lost innocence, of, of the old world that can't ever be regained. Elgar never ostensibly said exactly what it was about, but there's no doubt, you know, he was old, his wife was ill and would, be, uh, would die within the year, uh, and he was in a way, uh, you know, sad and, and uh, dare I say, lonely, and, and I think all of that is kind of wrapped up in this incredible last five or six minutes of the cello concerto. Because of contractual matters, we're unfortunately unable to broadcast our performance, our live performance, but we have instead for you a, a recording of Yo-Yo performing the piece. Of course, if you want to hear it live, you've got to come to the concerts, and we'd love to have you do that, particularly for our upcoming concerts. But we still get to hear Yo-Yo play this magnificent piece. This is a recording from uh, Yo-Yo's early life when he was a very young man. Uh, it's a performance with a, a fellow who was actually a mentor of mine and a great champion and figure in 20th century English music, even though he was American and, I believe, Berlin-born. The great film composer, pianist, conductor, uh, Andre Previn is the conductor with Yo-Yo Ma performing on the cello. The orchestra is the London Symphony. Here now, Edward Elgar's cello concerto featuring Yo-Yo Ma as soloist. Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.